Keeping Democracy Alive with Bert Cohen. America is involved in the entire world. The entire world is involved with America. A lot of people on the right in particular like to think that uh, we are in control of the situation that uh, as it should be. But it isn't necessarily that for people around the world in their own countries who kind of like to have their own future. And if they want to have a democracy where they are, well, Sometimes they are able to do that. Not always, for sure. And uh, most of us, we don't think about Spain very much. When we think about Europe, we think about, you know, Germany, France, and uh, that little island nation across the, pa- across the uh, river from them, formerly Great Britain. But there's the, uh, the southern part of the European market that is really in turmoil right now. Things are not good in places like Spain and Greece. The unemployment is huge. Uh, They've been under austerity for a very long time. What do we care? Well, listen into this discussion about what's going on in Spain. There's really something new under the sun, something really new that's rare in politics. Normally it's, you know, a different version of the same old, same old, but we're going to find out about what's going on in Spain with something called Podemos. I hope I pronounced that right. I'm not sure that I did, but our guest, Sebastian Faber, will let us know. Sebastian, thanks for being with us on Keeping Democracy Alive. Great to be on your show, Bert. All right. Well, Sebastian Faber is professor of Hispanic Studies at Oberlin College, where he directs the Latin American Studies Program and the Center for Languages and Cultures. He's the author of Exile and Cultural Hegemony from 2002 and Anglo-American Hispanists and the Spanish Civil War, 2008. And he's co-editor of an essay collection about Spanish Civil War exiles in the United States it's published widely on 20th and 21st century Spanish and Latin American literature, history, and culture since 2010. He's been serving, very ably, I might add, as chair of the Abraham Lincoln Brigade Archives and co-editor of its quarterly magazine, The Volunteer. And in a new article in The Nation, our guest writes, The ascension of Podemos has changed the face of European politics, raising the prospect of a powerful Southern coalition riding an electoral wave to challenge the austerity policies imposed by Germany and the European Central Bank. Uh, And uh, challenging the austerity policies and, uh, you know, the power of Germany has been around for a very long time throughout the 20th century. And again, we hear often about England, France, and Germany, the wealthy northern European powers, but rarely do we hear anything about Spain. What is the current political and especially economic situation in Spain? Well, um, Spain, as uh, just like Greece 
and Portugal and Italy have been hardest hit by the economic crisis uh, of 2008. Um, in Spain, a lot of the economic growth before that was based on the real estate market, and as you know, that was one of the things to implode in 2008. So Spain has been hurting very, very badly since 2008-2009. And um, the political situation is that currently in government is the Conservative Party, the so-called Popular Party, or Partido Popular, PP. And they have uh, imposed, as a response to the crisis, a whole range of austerity measures. So they have severely cut things like uh, education budget, healthcare budget, um, wow. unemployment benefits budget. And uh, they have basically been uh, killing off the little the couple of buzz for economic growth that were still there. So Spain has been in this cycle of increasing unemployment, increasing economic despair, uh, decreasing opportunities for, for people. And uh, indicators like... Um, the number of children that uh, are under the poverty line, for example, has been ballooning. The number of people losing their houses in Spain has been ballooning. So the, the mood for a long time in Spain in the, in the wake of the crisis was one of literally of despair. Hmm. Hmm. Absolute despair. And the, the unemployment, I guess, is somewhere around 24% in general and over 50% for people 18 to 25. Is that right? That's right. So for, for young people in Spain today, there's really no way out. They, um, it's become much less affordable to go to university and, and get a college degree. Um, the government has been increasing tuition rates and decreasing um, support for, for students, economic support for students. But, but neither are there any jobs to be had. So what Spain has seen in the past couple of years is a massive exodus of young, qualified young people who leave the country and try to find either a way to study or to find a job elsewhere. Um, so this includes both people that are between 18 and 25, but also people slightly older who, do, who are qualified and who have good credentials but who cannot find um, proper employment in Spain. These include academic researchers, medical doctors, physicists, engineers, that are massively flocking to Northern Europe and the United States and mm. Latin America to find employment. Hmm. And uh, that also has not been good for the economy of Spain, obviously. I'm, I'm sure. And I wonder, you know, austerity hits, as you mentioned, you know, the, the social services. What about, are, are there very rich people there? And are they being hit as well? Uh, just like elsewhere, um, hmm. austerity has hit middle income and lower income um, populations much more severely than the, 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 top, the, the 1%. In fact, just like elsewhere in Spain, the 1% has only been getting richer, even in the, even in the wake of the crisis. Wow. So income disparity, mm. the difference between rich and poor, has increased dramatically in Spain. And, uh, you know, if people here in the U.S. know at all of Spanish politics, and it really hardly ever gets covered on, on the so-called news, we know that you know, one of the few things we know is that right-wing dictator Franco died in 1975. He was, of course, profoundly anti-democratic. How actually democratic, with a small d, has it been since then? How much better has it been for the common good since he died? Was there a lot of hope when he died? And, and how, how has it changed? How much has it improved or hasn't it since he passed away? 
things have definitely improved since he died. Spain became a, a democracy in 1978. A democratic constitution was adopted in 1978. And things have been infinitely better uh, than they were under Franco. But that said, um, now there is an increasing number of people who look back on these um, 30 or 40 years of, of Spanish democracy and who now say, look, uh, it is true that we uh, adopted a democratic constitution in 1978, but think about the circumstances under which the constitution was given shape and adopted. It was a time when the Franco regime, the representatives of the Franco regime, were still very strong, and the opposition was very weak. So the sheer correlation of forces at that point, politically speaking, with a very strong dictatorial right still and a very fairly weak opposition made for a constitution that wasn't quite as democratic as it could have been and as it should be now. So they point at elements such as the electoral system, which privileges um, rural areas over urban areas, and which privileges larger parties over smaller parties. And they point to the fact that starting in the 19, early 1980s, uh, Spanish politics became really almost a, bi a two-party system comparable to hmm. the U.S. system, where politics were dominated by uh, the large, powerful um, labor party, the, the PSOE, the Socialist Party, mm -hmm. on the left, center-left, and the Partido Popular, the PP, on the right. And these critics say that since the 1980s, these two parties have been more interested in maintaining their own power yeah and have had more in common, in a way, in their defense of the status quo um, than they have been really separated by at the level of policy or goals for the nation. Um, so they're moving out into what Podemos represents. So Podemos is a, comes out of a strong critique of the current political system, the current constitution, and says, look, um, we can do much better when it comes to democracy, when it comes to real participation of the citizens in the political process. Wow. And we're sick and tired of a political class that uh, has really become a class onto its own. So the, politici the politicians in power have all been politicians their whole lives. Mm -hmm. The first job they got was to be part of a political party, and that's what they, what they continued doing. So they've been alienated from the population, and they've been become entrenched as well as corrupt, and um, it's time to start over, to wipe the slate clean and to breathe some fresh air mm. into this uh, two-party system. Wow, interesting. We have heard some of these things certainly resonate for where we are in these uh, currently United States, parties in it for themselves, or at least people having that impression. As, as we mentioned here on Keeping Democracy Alive with Bert Cohen, where our guest is Sebastian Faber talking about Spain, Podemos is something new under the sun. What is, spend a little time here, what is Podemos and who is Pablo Iglesias? Well, Podemos is a political party and its secretary general, that is to say its leader, its right. organizational leader is Pablo Iglesias. Pablo Iglesias is 36 years old. He's a political scientist. He has a PhD in political science and he's got a job as an adjunct professor at the University of Madrid teaching political science. Um, he was born in 1978. He was born the very same wow. week that the Constitution was adopted. Uh, he was extremely young for a leader. I'd say. And, and Podemos um, is, a, is, an, is a party that's only one year old. 
really. It, it was founded on January 17th last year um, uh, as really as a, an attempt to reinvent electoral politics in Spain and as an attempt to break open this stranglehold that these two major parties had or have on the system. It really came out of a confluence of social movements that um, started coalescing um, around the so-called 15M movement. So the 15M mm-hmm. movement is really something like the Spanish Occupy movement, where it, it actually it uh, happened about half a year before Occupy um, was born in the United States. Uh-huh. But it has very similar traits. It, it consists of lo- different groups of people of all ages, of all backgrounds, some very political, some not so political. But what, she, but what brings them together is a sense of being fed up with the current system and having the feeling that the politics as we know it does not represent uh, regular citizens and that the voice of regular citizens is not being heard by politicians. In Spain, the 15M movement um, was very powerful for a while and then kind of petered out, it appeared, just like occupying the United States. But uh, in the background, things kept percolating, things kept um, developing, and people coming out of the 15M movement at the end of 2013 um, started talking about going for uh, participation in, in the elections. For a while, um, just like with Occupy, this was kind of taboo. The sense was, no. like, if we want to change the system, we should not join elections. We should not become an official political party because mm. that's the beginning of the end. That's mm. exactly what we want to change. Yeah. What happened in Spain was that the situation was so desperate that um, a group of, of um, intellectuals and activists sat around and decided, look, I think it might be time, we think it might be time to break that taboo to found a party and to really join the election. So in January, they, they brought out a manifesto. Mm. It was signed by 28 people. Uh, the manifesto's ti- title was um, Making a Move, um, it's a metaphor related to chess, right? You, you, you move your, your, um, uh-huh. your piece, uh-huh. and we're going to enter this game. Um, and they set their eyes first on the European parliamentary elections, yes. which were happening in May. So we're talking a window of four months or less Jeez. between deciding to become a party and fully joining uh, an election. Wow, lightning so, speed. So they worked incredibly hard. Um, they, um, they are extremely savvy when it comes to using social media. Mm-hmm. Uh, they have a wide range of, of um, media strategies, one of which is to... Um, participate fully in, in television debate. Mm-hmm. In, in the past couple of years, I've seen an amazing rise of something that, that we've known for a while in the U.S., which is sort of political talk shows, where basically have four or five people sitting around a table with a moderator, and they hash it out on television. So you have the left-wing guy and the right-wing guy and the centrist guy or woman, mm-hmm. and they just discuss. Well, the, the members of, um, of Podemos um, had... A, been participating in these for a while already, and they racketed that, that up tremendously. So they became in, incredibly active on television, on social media, and they appealed tremendously to a large segment of the electorate in Spain, so much so that um, three, four months after their foundation um, as, a, as a party, they managed 
to get five seats in the European Parliament. And they got, um, I think, 8% of the vote in Spain, which was tremendous, coming out of nowhere. Really? Uh, this was in May. So they currently have five members of their party who have a seat in the European Parliament, European Parliament in Brussels. And Pablo Iglesias, the current Secretary General, is one of them. So he goes to Brussels a couple of times a week to um, be a member of the European Parliament. And since then, really since that sort of the, the meteoric um, mm. appearance on, on the scene of, of Spanish politics in May, Podemos has, has only been growing. They grow in the polls, their, their presence grows in the media, and they've been able to fine-tune their message and their program, and, um, and especially to organize themselves in a way that is both, both massive and completely new. Um, and I can talk a little bit about, about more about that in a second if you're interested. Oh, yeah, there's so much to talk about. Uh, we're talking about uh, Podemos and with, with Sebastian Faber, uh, new, something new happening in Spain. What, what does that name mean? Where does it come from? Podemos, it's very simple. It means we can. We can. So it, it, it resonates a little bit with, with Obama's Yes, We Can. Yeah. Um, but what's really interesting, what really is important about it, it's the first person plural. The we is very important. And it expresses a kind of hope. Uh, democracy is possible. We, the citizens, can shape a, the, the country in a way that we find that we think is the best way to shape it. Um, so it, it's an expression of, of hope and aspiration of a much more healthy participatory democracy in which um, the people really rule. One of the interesting features about Podemos is that they talk about national sovereignty. They talk about the fact that the Spanish the citizens of the Spanish state have the right to govern themselves. Whoa. And that austerity measures that are imposed by, let's say, uh, Angela Merkel in Germany mm -hmm. or by the European Central Bank or by the International Monetary Fund um, or, or by the European Commission are not... Um, should not be accepted in Spain if people of Spain don't agree with them. After all, it's a sovereign democracy. Well, it, that it brings up a, a lot of issues there about the whole economic system in the West. Quite frankly, I mean, you, you all, you've for you know many many decades had the lenders and the borrowers, and you know the lenders, the uh, you know the International Monetary Fund, the World Bank. They have traditionally. Uh, dictated politics in many developing countries and, and have usually, it seems, protected the top 1% at the expense of, of everybody else. They, they impose austerity. Now, since it's their money that they're lending, uh, don't they have some sort of a, a right uh, to say how it's, it's going to be paid back? I mean, Spain, I guess, uh, at least the leaders at the time, uh, you know, agreed to the terms of of the uh, the credit that was extended to them, but uh, the, the the lenders, the creditors, must be uh, watching this development fairly carefully. How, how do you uh, what what sense do you get from uh, how the the creditors, the the people who are calling the shots in Germany and and elsewhere, uh, are, are uh, taking a look at uh, what's happening in Spain? Well, really, there's been sort of so far two phases to their reaction. The first reaction has been um, to ridicule mm. and fearmonger. So to say, yeah, these people, these crazy populists, we shouldn't pay attention to them. Mm -hmm. And when they started rising, saying, like, 
these people are really um, scary, they're dangerous, uh, they have no idea the risk that they're putting their, their country in, right. um, uh, things like that. Very quickly, though, um, I mean, you can say many things about the Germans, but they are realists. They invented the, the term realpolitik, right, mm-hmm. to, to adapt your politics to the reality of the situation. Mm-hmm. So um, already now you can see, uh, in reaction to Greece as well as Spain, yeah. um, the, the large European powers, the, the central bank and, and Germany, backtracking. So, well, you know... Maybe we can talk. Maybe we can we, we can at least sit, with, sit at the table with these people and see what can be done. If you look at what Podemos is saying um, about things like the national debt, the public debt in Spain, which yes. is currently at around a hundred percent of uh, of the GDP, so oh. uh, unbelievable. So that in layman's terms, the amount of money that Spain as a nation owes owes to its creditors is about the same as the whole economy makes, produces within a year's time. That's a whole lot. That's a huge debt. Wow. Uh, what that means in the long run is that servicing the debt, yes. so just paying the interest on that debt, mm-hmm. takes a big chunk out of every year's income. So it, it is a pressure that, um, on the economy that, that impedes economic growth. Yeah. But for them also saying, with a bunch of prominent economists, backing that argument up, including uh, Piketty, the, 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 um, the French economist who came out last year with a book called um, Capital in the 21st Century. Mm. But what Podemos and, and these economists are saying is, look, if you want Spain to recover, mm-hmm. uh, we have to do something about that debt. We cannot just let it sit there and let it be serviced the way it is now, because it, Spain will never be able to pay all of that off under these terms. So what they're proposing is very simple, a renegotiation of right, the debt. Right. Where, uh, so where creditors, the creditors would sit around the table with Spain and they would see what can be paid back sure. under what terms and why, what perhaps might not have to be paid back. Now, the, um, the initial reaction to these plans, um, both in the center-left and the, and the right in Spain as well as abroad, has been, no way, you can't do that. A debt is a debt. It's got to be paid back. Wow. However, when you look at history, the number of instances where nations under major debt pressure have been able to renegotiate oh, yeah. their debt, oh, yeah. and where even parts of the debt have been um, written off and forgiven, yeah. it's, a, it's a whole number of instances, including uh, Great Britain and Germany in the post-World War II era. Mm-hmm. So if Germany had not been able to restructure its, restructure its debt in the 1940s and 50s, um, then Germany would not have been where it is now in terms sure. of economic growth and power. So it's incredibly ironic, not to say hypocritical, sure. for German banks now to say to Spain that, no, you cannot restructure your debt. Mm. We are talking about the Spanish economy, Spanish politics, and something really new under the political son Podemos in Spain. Now, there is an election on the horizon, and... Podemos is, is actively participating in that. And I know that uh, back oh, just a few months ago when, when Scotland was, become, was considering becoming independent, they backed off. The, the powers that be, which I'm sure are some of the powers that be in this situation, uh, made people afraid. They did. And I'm reminded what you were talking about. They're, they're making people afraid. I believe it was Gandhi who said... Uh, uh, in terms of struggles like this, first they ignore you, then they laugh at you, 
then they fight you, then you win. Do you think uh, the people, tell us about the upcoming election and, and, you know, how does it look at the moment for Podemos? Do you you think uh, people might get to the edge and and think, look, you know, have the polls looking like Podemos might win and then really back off and saying, nah, this is unrealistic. What's your sense, Sebastian? Well, there's there's two elections come up in May. Okay. There are local elections and um, what you could call provincial elections. Spain mm-hmm. is divided into seventeen states, almost autonomous communities, are called. Yeah. So we're going to have in May levels of uh, um, municipal elections at the city and, and, and local level, as well as elections at the level of these autonomies. Podemos is not participating as Podemos in the local elections mm-hmm. because. They felt they just couldn't pull it off. These are more than 8,000 races. Ooh. And uh, for a party that is just setting up its own infrastructure, they felt, look, we're going to run the risk of attracting people whose values we cannot trust. The, the, the uh, two uh-huh. um, uh, main things that Podemos is promising the electorate is honesty and competence. Uh, they, uh, they argue, and they're completely right to argue, that the Spanish political class, is incredibly incompetent and incredibly corrupt. And uh, they're saying, look, we, we know what we're talking about. We have studied. We have PhDs, and we can talk to people, and we, we, we trust, we believe in, um, in, in incompetence, in people knowing what they're doing, studying it, making right decisions based on common sense and real analysis. Hmm. And they're saying, we promise cleanliness. We promise control, no backroom deals, no um, no embezzlement, no traffic of influence, nothing like that. And they're saying, look, if we want to participate in these 8,000 races, then we're going to get people jumping on board who are not kosher. Who right. are so they, they declined to participate as Podemos in the local elections, telling their many supporters, look, you, you guys just support whomever you think best represents what we stand for in the local elections. And you know these are people from your town. You know who you can trust and you can't trust. Mm-hmm. They are participating at the autonomous uh, level, so at the level of what you could call the state state government. Sure. Mm-hmm. And there they have a really good shot at winning some major victories. Madrid, the autonomous community of Madrid, which includes the capital Madrid and its surrounding um, areas, mm-hmm. uh, Podemos has a real shot at winning that, wow. and uh, that will be a major victory. Hmm. Now these these two elections are really kind of a, a dress rehearsal for the upcoming parliamentary elections which happen every four years in Spain, and those are slated for November. And, um, and if you look at the, at the way the polls are going, mm-hmm. uh, Podemos has a real shot at coming out as the, the party with most votes in that election, which would mean that they should be then in charge of trying to form a government. Mm. And that's what they're preparing themselves for. So they're um, working really hard on a program, and they're working, they're talking to all kinds of people, including um, functionaries in government, so not political party members, but people in ministries at the level of, um, of, of sort of technocrats. They're talking to them, and, and, and they're saying that the people in government who know what they're doing, the people who are in charge of specific areas because of their technical expertise, are jumping at the idea of having politicians who respect their knowledge and their expertise, as opposed to politicians who don't care and who themselves are incompetent. So <laughs> there's, I, I, I would say they have a really good shot at 
um, at winning. Mm-hmm. You asked about the fear factor. Will, will voters in the end say, ah, you yeah. know what, these new kids on the block, I don't, I'm not sure I'm going to go with the same old, same old. In Spain, um, the credibility of the two major parties is, has dropped so much. They've done so much themselves to undercut their own standing with the public that my reading of the general mood is uh, let's give these kids a shot because mm, we cannot get much worse than we've got now. Wow. Interesting. And, and in your article in The Nation magazine, Sebastian Faber, there's this great quote from historian Sanchez Leon uh, who said, quote, something very interesting has happened in Spain. The people have finally discovered that they are smarter than their own politicians. <laughs> How did that happen? I wish it could happen here. Is there, yeah, and that brings up the question of, you know, here in, in the United States, the role of intellectuals in politics is practically nil. You know, the intellectuals uh, are, are not trusted. They're seen as an elite or something like that. What about the role of, of intellectuals in, in Spanish culture and politics? That's a, it's really interesting. In Spain, um, since really since the 15M movement, uh, there's been people have almost awoken out of a slumber. So mm-hmm. citizens have discovered that um, they have a capacity for organizing, mm. and they have a voice. And like um, Sanchez Leon, the Hungarian artist, says that they're smarter than the politicians. They they don't have to believe everything that comes to them from the politicians. They can think for themselves. They can do their own research. They can form their own group and write up their own manifestos and their own programs. So the level, at the level of local organizing, a lot has happened in Spain. This is in part in response to the crisis. If you think about the levels of unemployment that we just discussed and the levels of economic despair, um, what's happened in Spain is people have gotten together to organize themselves just to survive. Mm. So in the wake of the 2008-2009 crisis, what Spain has seen have been, for example, um, resource banks where people set up local economies without money, so where uh, you can work for a number of hours and those hours get banked, and those hours you can then, with those hours you can buy somebody else's help again. So if you are a carpenter and you make a piece of furniture for somebody, and then with those hours you can engage a lawyer to help you with, with some kind of legal trouble that you're in or something like that. So there's been a lot of local grassroots organizing in Spain in the past number of years. And uh, that has led to an awareness among the citizens of Spain that they can take they they can take charge of, of things themselves. Um, the intellectuals have been split into two camps. I would say there's a, a part of the intellectual class that is so tied up with the political class that mm-hmm. they've been very skeptical about Podemos mm-hmm. um, in in the, in the kind of conservative way that you would expect. What do we know? These people. I promise things they cannot deliver on. Untested. Um, populism is dangerous. Yep. But there's been a, a chunk of the intellectual class who has jumped on board with Podemos, who is really excited, and especially thrilled at the prospect that politics doesn't have to be anti-intellectual. Politics doesn't have to be stupid. Hmm. Um, and I think that resonates, in my mind, with the United States, where uh, even in Obama's State of the Union address, Obama had to make the argument that it's, it makes sense to listen to scientists when it comes to things that scientists know about. You know, that's, and, um, 
I think that's really refreshing. <laughs> Pay attention to actual facts. People are so mistrustful of intellectuals, but it's an interesting point, you know, that uh, uh, you know deprivation really is is quite the stimulus to action. There's nothing like adversity to organize people. And Sebastian Faber, you, you describe the unique functioning. This is a very interesting thing about Podemos that uh, strikes me as pretty unique. They have real grassroots assemblies, which they also call circles, uh, as being the lifeblood of, of Podemos. So tell us about these circles. How do they function? And it sounds, I have to say, before you answer, it sounds a lot like consensus and I frankly have had experience uh, in in consensus decision making in large groups. In the late seventies, I was with something called Boston Clamshell, an anti nuclear group, and we had consensus decision making. This process opened us up to infiltrators, actually government infiltrators, whose goal was to disrupt, and it did happen. Uh, d- tell us about these circles. Can they be both a strength and a weakness? Is it not too cumbersome a process? both for you know, electoral politics as well as for governing. So if you could just talk about circles. Yeah, so these, these circles are, like you say, they are local assemblies. These are groups of people who come together locally, either because they live in the same place, they share the same neighborhood, or because they uh, have the same job or they work in the same sector of the economy. Uh-huh. Um, so you have circles of university professors, circles of medical doctors, circles uh, for a particular um, neighborhood in in Barcelona, um, and and as one somebody can be a member of as many circles as they want, and circles are really assemblies, they're discussion mm-hmm. places where people exchange ideas and try to come up with specific proposals. Um, the way that Podemos has set things up is that every time a major decision has to be made, um, for example. Um, in a two-month process in the fall, Podemos um, basically wrote its own party constitution in the sense that they set up the, the, the structural organization of the party, like who would head it, uh, what kind of bodies would make up the party's own self-government. Uh, but they also set up something that they call the ethical document, basically a series of ethical principles by which every single representative for them as would have to abide. Now, these, these documents and these organizations were, um, um, came into being through this long process, this very bottom-up process of mm-hmm. circles coming up with proposals, throwing them into the mix, and then all the circles together uh, deciding which proposals made, made, made most, most sense. Mm-hmm. So initially there was a whole series of proposals, then different groups whose proposals seemed similar got together to see if they could come up with a consensual hmm. uh, combined proposal, so the number of proposals dwindled to about 50. And then in October, there was this series of presentations, debates, and finally a vote, and the vote was electronic online, mm-hmm. um, with hundreds of thousands of people participating, where then finally people expressed their opinion about what proposal they thought was the best in their eyes, and that then resulted in uh, the adoption of an organizational structure and a set of ethical principles. So it's true that it's a cumbersome process. Yeah. Uh, what Podemos believes, uh, what, what they say is that this is the way democracy should work. Mm-hmm. Democracy should be the government um, uh, by the people, for the people. So the people shouldn't themselves be participating in it. Um, there's an interesting 
tension in the party going on right now um, between one sector, one faction that says these circles are great and they're really important. They are the lifeblood of the party. However, um, we do need some agility and we do need some central control. And um, the power of the circles should be, to some extent, limited in, in some ways so that it does, the circles don't become a, um, a weight around the neck of the right, party in right. terms of its organization. There's another faction that says uh, the circles are really the only thing we have that guarantees that we will never become one of those traditional parties uh, that becomes separated from the, from the citizens and a sort of a, um, a, um, a space in which corruption can happen, a space in which people can become um, addicted to their own power and um, do things to maintain that that go against the party. And the struggle between those two factions, sort of the more traditional mm-hmm. um, in traditional leftist terms, you'd say a more Leninist fa- faction in a way. It's a little bit unfair to characterize it in a way, but it comes down to that. And a more anarchist faction, you could say, so a more horizontalist mm-hmm. faction. That tension is unresolved, and it goes straight through the heart of the party. Mm-hmm. Um, and you can see it as a weakness um, in the same way that the left has always been divided oh, along yes. those always. directions, right? And always, yes. But, but um, I think it can also be a strength. I think it can also, the, the more horizontalist faction, just through its sheer presence and it, uh, through not giving up, um, will help keep the, other, the current leaders honest, I think, in a way that will, will be really important. So it's, time will tell whether that tension um, will be lethal or not in the end. Um, but I think at this point, at least, everybody on both sides um, feels that the larger project of winning the elections and changing the political system is more important than any of these internal disagreements. Wow. Uh, if they can keep their, as they say, eyes on the prize and do it and unite together, you're right. I mean, the left traditionally forever really has divided amongst themselves and uh, you know, oftentimes caused their own demise by internal squabbles. And it, it sounds like Podemos has, has learned from that history and, and is trying to have some sort of a, a, a balance. Are you nervous about that? I mean, do, do you think they'll be able to hold it together for the next, you know, going into the elections? Because, you know, it, it, it's you know one thing to, to protest and to raise issues, but it's another to actually get elected and have your program actually in gear. Do you think they'll be able to hold it together on that? I hope they'll be able to yeah. I, I, I'm not 100% sure. Sure, um, of course. It's, it's unpredictable. There's a couple of other factors that will help determine or that, that will, um, will, will shape the possible success of Podemos. I sometimes think back to 1973, uh, early, early 70s in Chile, when Allende came to power. And I, can, I can imagine a scenario in Spain where Podemos does come to power, but where then the vested interests internationally, as well as in Spain itself, will do whatever they can mm-hmm. to sabotage their success, mm. um, in the same way that Allende's government was sabotaged in 1973. And that, that scares me. So I think um, what, what gives me hope is that Podemos is anything but naive. Uh, they know mm. what they're facing. Um, mm-hmm. They'll be able to anticipate many of these things. And they are anticipating many of these things. So, for example... They're already actually reaching out to economists 
and banks. And um, the, the, the American trope of reaching across the aisle is, is, um, is apt here in a way that they're reaching out into, for example, the Spanish Armed Forces, uh, mm. which traditionally the left hates the army and the police and all that. But Podemos from the beginning very smartly they said, look, uh, the army is the army, and we need it, and there's no reason why we should oppose the army as such. And there are people in the armed forces mm-hmm. who are, are just as fed up with politicians as we are. So we should find those people and, be, and make them our allies. Wow. And this goes to another really interesting feature of Podemos, which is uh, the way in which they say, we are not leftists, we're not rightists. The, the notion of the division between the left and the right only plays into the two-party system. It's, it's a ploy that divides the electorate and that maintains the status quo. If we really want to change things, we have to throw those old categories out the window and talk in a different way. So Podemos talks about the people and the caste, the, 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 the uh-huh. Indian Ocean of the caste, right? mm-hmm. the, the, the Brahmins that sit at the top and that, um, that want to protect their class interests. So they're populist in that way, in the sense they really talk about, they, they appeal to any Spaniard with common sense, with, uh, who just wants things to be better and who wants our politics to be more honest. Whether they're conservative, whether they're progressive, whether they're Catholic, whether they're atheist, it doesn't matter. You can all support us. That's their message. Hmm. And um, the polls bear that out. The Podemos of all parties has the broadest support among different second segments of the population. So shopkeepers or lawyers or doctors or squatters or students, they have supporters in all of these sectors because um, their message is, look, it's left and right doesn't apply anymore. It's, we, we, all of us Spaniards have a stake in making this a better country for everybody. I'm guessing that the, the super wealthy don't feel particularly uh, enamored with it, but there's probably not that many of them. <laughs> We're talking on Keeping Democracy Alive with Bert Cohen with Sebastian Faber, professor of Hispanic studies at Oberlin College, who is also chair of the Abraham Lincoln Brigade Archives. Uh, We're talking about Spain, something new under the political sun, Podemos. And very being different from the left, as you were describing how it functions, I was reminded of people here who consider themselves of the right politically, kind of libertarians and, you know, devolution of power, you know, taking it from where it currently resides at the very top in the hands of a few to more and more people, you know, actual people, real participatory democracy. And, and you know, that's that's the essence of populism there. And it sounds like, uh, you know, it, it's a different animal there as well. And, you know, again, being rather different uh, at, at one of the... Uh, at, at the Constituent Congress that, uh, you know, where 100,000 people eventually voted in the process electronically, as you described, there was a unique proposal for three secretaries general, not one, and introduced the idea that 20% of the Citizens Council be elected by a drawing rather than 100% by a direct membership vote. These measures were intended to avoid the traps and power trips of traditional politics. That's really interesting. That's really different. What would be the advantages of having uh, 20% of the Citizens Council just be elected by just a simple drawing? Well, this, so this is one of the proposals that did not make it in ah, the end, right? Okay. So um, 
and this would have been really revolutionary. In, yeah. in, I think in the thing in Fenian democracy, there was the notion that uh, the representatives of the people are elected by drawing, by by, by chance, right? Mm. And what it what it does, of course, the, the same idea that you have three leaders, not one, right. is that it it detaches political power from individual people, right? So it, it takes away um, from this notion that to be a politician means to not be something else. To be a politician means to be a full-time person engaged in power. And um, and in Spain, uh, just looking at the current political situation, it's extremely clear that people who make their career out of politics People who go into public service often do so not because they have great ideas for the country, but because they relish the power, they relish the influence, and they, over time, are able to leverage the influence for their own personal enrichment. I'm shocked. And um, <laughs> so the, the notion of, of, of quick turnover and, and a factor of randomness in who, holds, who becomes the representative of the people is, is one idea, too, is one... Um, mm-hmm trick to, to counteract that tendency. In, in Spain, what Podemos is saying, and they're completely right, is that the, the, the sheer closeness of the political power and the economic power, the, the, the political elites and the economic elites, is such that um, politicians cannot be trusted. There's very much like in the U.S., where you have these revolving doors between um, Mm-hmm. board memberships or mm-hmm. CEO um, positions in large corporations mm-hmm. and political parties, or even more so in the U.S., between lobby firms yes. and um, members of Congress, right, where outgoing yeah. members of Congress become wealthy as lobbyists for yes. corporations or, or corporate interests. That's sickening. Those kind of revol- revolving doors are very much happening in Spain as well, mm. uh, where former politicians become... Um, Directors of banks or powerful members of, of corporate boards right. making tons of money, and obviously that, that um, skews their political decision making, uh, even either before or after they go through the revolving door. Yeah, I'm sure. Hey, I, I got to ask. You know, it's having some experience uh, here in these uh, United States. It's easy to protest. It's much harder to actually govern. Consensus is a very problematic organizational structure. Let, let's envision Podemos uh, getting elected. Do you think, uh, Sebastian, that Podemos is, is up to the task? Or do you think, I mean, could they really govern? Or do you think it would be some sort of a, a coalition govern? Or, or, or what do you think the possibilities are for actually getting the people's agenda into power, into gear? That's, that's a really good question, and we'll have to see. Um, the real test, real proof of the pudding will be um, them entering government and see what they can see and what they can do. The couple of things that I, I'm sure of is, one is they're not naive. Right, right. that's good. The second is that they're, um, uh, they're willing to, um, to negotiate. So that they are not... Um, they know they cannot impose overnight things that require large structural changes in the country. Um, and they know that um, the, the art of politics is the art of compromise, um, and that uh, it's baby steps, and you, you sit around the table and you see how far you can get. 
the one thing they've made clear, and because they are, many of them are political scientists, including the leader, um, they've studied politics. They know politics backwards. And uh, what they're saying is, look, it's going to come down to making, to negotiating a compromise. Yes. Yeah. But the stronger we are as we sit down at the sure, table, absolutely. the farther we can get. Yeah. So the more votes we get, the more of a mandate that we are given by the electorate, the stronger our position will be when it comes down to pushing things in the direction that we think they should go. Now, we're talking again uh, on Keeping Democracy Alive with Bert Cohen. Our guest is Sebastian Faber about, uh, about Spain and, and real, real political change happening there. And th- there's one term that uh, I think uh, probably unites most, if not all, the people at Podemos is something called deprivatization. There's been, you know, the, the, the powers that be, the, the German, the, uh, you know, the money people have suggested uh, privatizing everything. Uh, deprivatization, is that sort of a, a decentralization of power? Or what does deprivatization mean for the people of Spain? It's a term that Podemos adopted, I think, from Denmark, um, or maybe Sweden, one of the Scandinavian countries, where there's been now a movement um, away from privatizing um, things such as energy, mm-hmm. education, mm-hmm. Uh, public transportation, sort of public services and, and basic needs, mm. um, water supply, things like that. And deprivatization is, in some way, a euphemism for nationalization, um, but what it comes down to is this, the, the idea that for the well-being of the nation as a whole, for the economy, for uh, in order to, to um, guarantee a basic subsistence level for the majority of the population, there are some things that cannot be left to for-profit corporations, especially not multinational corporations, mm-hmm. so that... Um, the healthcare system in Spain, which up to very recently was in fact a universal healthcare system, the privatization of healthcare in Spain is very recent. It's happened in the, over the in the past one or two governments. Has in Spain has clearly led to a significant decrease in the quality of healthcare, mm. both in terms of accessibility and in terms of, of sheer quality. So, for example, um, Spain lived through a a very embarrassing episode around the Ebola crisis where a, an infected um, priest was flown back from Africa and then attend, attended to in a Madrid hospital, which uh, did not actually enforce the proper protocols, and that caused the infection of a nurse. And that made very clear to everybody that this privatized, um, newly privatized hospital was just not as good as the universal healthcare hospital that, that it had been before that. So the, the deprivatization of, of uh, things like healthcare is really just this old 1970s social democratic notion that some things should be in part controlled by the state to guarantee that economic interests don't trump the interests of the, of the population, including hmm. things that are really part of the Declaration of Human Rights, access to proper healthcare mm-hmm. or ac- access to proper education. Mm. What a concept. The public good. i got to ask just two quick questions. Money. Here in the United States, money plays a huge part. You talked about uh, Podemos is getting how important TV is. Uh, do they need to raise a lot of money to try to get elected? To, to, yes, you know, I know. So they, they do uh, 
do a fair amount of crowdsourcing, crowdfunding uh-huh. for their um, project. In, in Spain, the financing of political parties is notoriously and woefully under-legislated. And uh, a chunk of the corruption cases that have come to light in the past 10 years are related to illegal party financing or shady party financing for the main established parties. What Podemos is offering in exchange is um, a much more direct crowdfunded type Mm -hmm. um, financing system and an unprecedented level of transparency. So on their website, podemos.info, they make all all their accounts are, are readily accessible by anybody. Um, so that that is, um, is but wow. they mm. they run on a shoestring budget. It's um, yeah, I'm not surprised. These these public appearances on television are not not paid. Right? Uh, it's not TV time that they pay for. Right, these, right. They they are invited to political talk shows, and that's where they make their point. And the website is podemos.info. Yeah. And um, I got to ask, why should the average American care? about what happens in Spain. Does it affect us in any way, aside from perhaps being inspirational? Um, yes, it does. Um, the inspirational part is important because it I is. do think that many of the issues that Podemos addresses are, um, are, are problems in, in democracies throughout the Western world. But if you look at Podemos in a European context, they can really uh, turn around, help turn around the tide in, in Europe. So Europe moving from an austerity-based response to the crisis to a much more social democratic, stimulus-based response to the crisis. If uh, depending on what happens in Greece and what then what happens in Spain in May and in November, the balance of power in Europe can really tip, and that will have an important consequence for the states as well. Hmm. Actual democracy could happen. People governing themselves. What a concept! I kind of like it. Uh, so the, the website, again, if P- it's probably just in Spanish, right? Podemos.info? Yeah, it's, it's in Spanish. Uh, well, how could people, uh, you know, if they want to be in touch with you, is there a website you can point them to? Obviously, well, maybe not so obviously, albavalb.org. Uh, but any, any other way they can, uh, you know, get in on, touch? On with- Facebook, um, if people are on Facebook, Podemos has a large presence on Facebook, and there's a strong community ah. of Podemos members in the United States as well. Ah, interesting. So just go to Facebook. Podemos USA. Podemos USA. Thank you so much. It's been very informative and inspirational. We like to have a degree of optimism and, and good news here. Sebastian Faber, thanks so much for being with us on Keeping Democracy Alive with Bert Cohen. Thank you, Bert. little Spanish guitar. Email me, Bert at BertCohen.com. Thanks so much for listening. Do what you can to keep democracy alive. The bells of the sea Who are ringing the rhymes of the deep As they sing of the ages asleep Not so near or so far And the old master's wind of the waves Sped forth for the free men and slaves Whispers of secrets it saves And about whom they are And the workings of sunshine and rain 
And the visions they paint that remain Pulsate from my soul through my brain In a Spanish guitar The beggar who sits in the street On his miserable throne of defeat Envisions no wealth there to meet Thinking nowhere is far And the laughter of children employed By the fantasies not yet destroyed By the dogmas of those they avoid Knowing not what they are Pulsate from my soul through my brain in a Spanish. 